Hello, everybody, and welcome to Football Unfocused. This week's uh, incomprehensible, inconsequential bullshit presented by Mark and Matthew. I am Mark, and that is Matthew that you can probably hear sort of <laughs> making weird noises. So- <laughs> you caught me in, in the middle of something, but yeah. yes, and, I'm here. And that noise as well, that, that <laughs> distinctive the, laugh that we this- all love. <laughs> well, we all, we've all grown to love it, haven't we? <laughs> It's why everyone listens, why the millions yeah. listen. <laughs> the millions. The millions, yeah. that's why they all tune in. As soon as they hear that, it gives them that warm, comforting glow on a sort of Saturday morning. I mean, I've, I I know people listen to this whilst bathing, uh, walking <laughs> dogs in Los Angeles, uh, all sorts of stuff. And, uh, and uh, it's the sound of your laugh uh, <laughs> after about three seconds of recording that um, that really draws them back. You're like the yeah. opium, the opium of the masses. <laughs> There's um somebody started listening in Japan. Have they? In, yeah, um, yeah. In um, I t- oh, I can't remember. Uh, something like Toloda or something. I'm not entirely well, sure uh, where. Hello, first of all, hello to that person, whoever you are. I really hope you're <laughs> enjoying listening to it. Um, I guess the only thing I would say, and this might be slightly insensitive, is that Japan is notorious for having one of the uh, higher. Uh, suicide rates on earth and i just hope that listening to our podcast doesn't <laughs> add to that um because i mean this is low quality stuff and it and it would make yeah. it's enough to make anybody lose push uh, em, hope in humanity it. so if you're feeling uh under under pressure or any in any way kind of down on life just listen to something better um because <laughs> this, this this is this is kind of the bottom of the barrel stuff matthew before i start asking you questions i just wonder whether there's any um right-wing conspiracy theories that you would like to peddle. <laughs> like to share yeah anything you want to share or peddle because you know clearly unless you unless anyone missed my sort of you know sledgehammer attempt at um subtlety there um, we're living in a world now where our own Prime Minister of, the, of Great Britain uh, and Northern Ireland uh, thinks it's fine to stand up in Parliament and uh, peddle uh, conspiracy theories uh, that are mostly aired by right-wing proto-fascists. Uh, but and now the Prime Minister, and you don't you don't even have to apologise about that. This is the kind of post-Trumpian, post-truth world that we're now existing in. Um, and uh, I suppose it is what happens when you are when you choose as a nation to be governed by a uh, self-serving narcissistic disgrace to humanity. So uh, if there's anything that you want to, but you know he is nevertheless the leader of this country. And if there's anything that you want to, um, you know, share that that feeds into that narrative and uh, and and follows that example, jump in at any time, Matthew. <laughs> Shut up, I can't. Yeah. You know I can't. Yeah, I know you can't, but I can and I will. Uh, you know, I mean, you know, you can be as subtle as you like, but sometimes enough's enough and fuck me, I'm fed up with it. Uh, but, but it, well, I was fed up with it about 10 years ago. Um, Matthew, uh, as part of the ongoing quest to learn more about you as a human being and to enlighten our millions of listeners um, uh, about you as, you as a person, the, the myth behind the reality, uh, these are my questions for this week. Question one, Matthew, do you have any allergies? Um, don't think so. No. Oh, it's kind of the opposite of an allergy. Um I, I get repeated um, annoying bouts of athlete's foot. That's and, incredible. And, 
and I can't shake it. I was and about I've been using to make a partridge reference to fungal foot powder. Oh yeah, and you've I gone and I... actually done it for me. Incredible. <laughs> and I can't athlete's yeah. foot. And I can't shake it. How's that the opposite to an allergy? Because it's a fungal well, condition, I, I guess, isn't it? Because I've grown immune to, or the the, the condition has grown immune to all treatments. Right. So is that the opposite? I it's don't sort know, of, Matthew. I mean, it's, it's not an analogy. You're but it's saying like, it, so it's probably not true. Um, <laughs> is, Question what is, two. What causes athlete's foot, Matthew? Well, I don't know. It's it's a long-standing condition that I've had. Um, I always thought I it was think, like I when you don't you dry your feet. Shake it. I think it's when you don't dry your feet properly after washing. Yeah, and, like, you allow moisture it? to build up, and then like, yeah, fungus. Yeah, so it makes me. Think it's, a, you, it's a fungus. It yeah. makes me think uh, like appalled that. at the prospect of your feet. <laughs> I'm, I'm now disgusted by them. <laughs> Well, would you have felt any different if I hadn't told you? That? Well, I mean, would you have been <laughs> quite open to a pedicure been, with me? I wouldn't have been me. front of the queue in the <laughs> let, let me see Matthew's feet um, uh, sort of competition, competition or exhibition. <laughs> yeah. um, but I wouldn't have been necessarily appalled, whereas now I'm appalled. And I'm actually thinking as well that when I see you during the uh, summer months, nine times out of ten, you're either wearing flip-flops or a pair of kind of garishly <laughs> brightly coloured Crocs. Uh, and I'm I'm now going to make sure I'm sitting nowhere near you uh, <laughs> yeah, because your fungus starts leaping onto me. Well, that's it. That is, is pretty uh, contagious shit. Good. Would so, you mind keeping stuff. us updated, then, over the next sort of six months or so about I, your, your I, battle with Athlete's Foot? It could be well, like, I, we yeah, could start bringing no, in the Athlete's Foot audience. Yeah, yeah. Well, that's it. Maybe we dedic- could A niche but dedicated it. market, yeah. I mean, I... I, I, I finished with one treatment and it it barely touched the sides of of it so i've i've mm. now i've moved on to a second one which i just did a treatment so um yeah so in a few weeks i'll be able to let you know if there's been any progress on I that i mean that's two treatments you've you've said that you've, yeah. you've kind of tried everything there's got to be more than two treatments before. oh yeah 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 i mean this is a condition that i've had for as i said it's long standing did you have it at school it probably started when I was, yeah, not not long after school. All the problems started at school. Didn't they? <laughs> yeah, well, that's it. <laughs> All your problems you can trace, started mate. at school. <laughs> yeah, and 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 by definition, then a lot of my problems. Um, <laughs> Matthew, I may have asked you this before. I can't remember, um, but I'm going to ask it again. Uh, oh, do you no. like wine? <laughs> that is a partridge reference. Mm. I remember um, uh, I came over to you. This was when you were in Ilford. You were living in Ilford, mm-hmm. and we were we were quite early twenties. And and I came round, and uh, you saw it was quite a small, uh, you know, apartment flat, flat place. Yeah, first floor flat of a converted house. Yeah, yeah. And um, and I came round, and I'd never. And you said, "Oh, would you like a glass of wine?" And um, I was quite surprised, I think because I wasn't, I'm not, you know, that was the first time I sort of entered into, well, you know, sort of sophisticated Says the man who spent most of his childhood at the Henley Regatta. You're the most most middle class person I know. You've spent most of your life 
you know, p- desperately pursuing a career in, mid- in the most <laughs> upper middle class sports imaginable. Um, I know. And and then you and but then you think that wine is a level of sophistication above your level. I mean, it's ludicrous. <laughs> I remember that incident. And, do uh, you? Yeah, I do. Uh, I will never forget it because uh, a mutual friend of ours, who for the purposes of his um, his uh, privacy, let's call him. <laughs> Um, Zames Navalero, uh, who who, um, who was present as well, and you know, we, we I think what we were doing is mostly drinking beer. But I said, if you don't want to be, I've got plenty of wine. Would you like a glass of wine? And you regarded that as the most hilarious thing you'd ever heard—the idea that somebody would offer you a glass of wine, and you thought it was some sort of sign that we, we were like mid, middle-class yeah. sellouts. And I, yeah. and and and. and uh, um, that individual, I can't even remember what ludicrous um, pseudonym I just came up for him, so I won't repeat it, but <laughs> our, our, our friend, hello if you're listening, um, uh, Zames, uh, <laughs> um, um, uh, thought, also thought it was ludicrous because, of you know, you're, 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 you, re- you reacted in a bizarre fashion. Yeah. Um, and, I mean, you go to most countries in the world and it would be, you know, totally yeah. normal to be offered a glass of wine when you come in. But you, you were very much uh, of your, oh yeah, no, no, no. And let, you know, we, I'm coming around here for beer or cider, and that's it. And you know, <laughs> yeah. what are you, some sort of ponce? <laughs> yeah. So answer the fucking question anyway. Oh, right. so, do um, you like wine? Uh, <laughs> I will enjoy a, a like. I would like a single glass of wine. I think if I have more than one glass, I feel like I lose the the taste or the enjoyment. Do it's you sort of a sl- drink yeah. wine with food. No, no. Um, but yeah, no. Actually, I do. You know, people do. like you make me sick. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry. Anyway, third question. Go on. No, no. I'm just. I just want to put it on the record, and this also applies to anyone else who would. <laughs> what the people like who, me who, who make you who sick? Who aren't aren't <laughs> sophisticated enough, or haven't developed their palate enough to realise that wine, the combination of food and wine, is. I mean, there's a reason why, you know majority of people in the in the uh, in the world uh pair those two things together because it is a a match made in heaven and it changes your experience of eating and you are exactly the sort of person i would imagine not to uh not to enjoy that and you've you've confirmed my um my suspicions final question matthew and it's it's less general it's more about you matthew and, and how you're getting on you've now lived in uh in uh derbyshire for about two months haven't you What's your favourite yeah. thing so far about Derbyshire? Um, it's possibly it's well, it's quite hilly, so that is a double-edged sword. Mm. Um, so I, it's some nice views, but get into my house from the local shop is um, quite tiring. Right, <laughs> <sighs> is that? That's but that is your favourite thing, even though you've focused on the negative there. That is still nevertheless your favourite thing. You like the views, but it's yeah. tiring. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Getting around. I I walked past a little kid actually. He was she was walking with her mum, and I didn't hear what the kid said, but I just heard the mum reply to whatever the kid said. Is, um, well, it's it's hilly everywhere. You've lived here for quite a while, and you know that to get anywhere. You got to go up a hill, <laughs> and I thought I know exactly what that kid feels like. Mm. <laughs> well, you are in in so many ways probably on the level of that child. Aren't you? I know, yeah, I know. You're experiencing the world in the same through the same lens as that child. 
sort of wide-eyed. <laughs> <laughs> and that wasn't a... Uh, the use of the term wide-eyed wasn't in any way a piss-take of your uh, unfortunate condition. Because <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I guess you're anything but, aren't you? Uh, no, no. <laughs> unfortunately. <laughs> unfortunately, indeed. Indeed. Uh, right, good. Okay, that, that ends my questions uh, for this week. Matthew, I thought we could just have a... Um, in, in, for the football part... Uh, this week, just a bit of a um, a kind of roundup of some of the um, stuff that uh, I've noticed, uh, Michael McIntyre style, you know, because that's, <laughs> that's what all the all the cool comedians do, don't they? They talk about things they've noticed. Observational um, humour. Yeah, yeah, exactly, exactly. Have you ever noticed? Uh, <laughs> when you go and pick up a shopping basket, there's a receipt in it, but it's not your fucking receipt. You didn't want that, did you? Yeah, stuff like that. Yeah. Uh, real top end top People end can humor. relate to yeah, yeah exactly yeah. we've all done it haven't we yeah. we've all we've all been there um, so yeah but have you noticed that have you yeah, no have okay. you <laughs> have you noticed um, so obviously we spoke I think a couple of weeks ago about um, some players who kind of go into deterioration and we speculated as to the reasons, potential reasons behind it. And I suppose the same things can happen with managers who lose their mojo. I'm thinking mostly about um, Jose Mourinho, who's probably the most high profile in um, in recent years, really. He's had about, what, three or four kind of quite disastrous spells at various elite European clubs and Tottenham. Um, <laughs> see what I did there? I think, <laughs> satire um uh and uh it's now having kind of seen the transfer window slam shut as it does it doesn't just close it slams shut <laughs> on sky sports and everyone has to wear yellow the transfer window slams shut uh just like in the fa cup the form book goes out the window apparently, <laughs> apparently there's someone there's someone uh there's someone who's got a book which has got everyone's form written down on it. And before every round of the FA Cup, they just grab this book and just chuck it out the window. I mean, that's littering by anyone's uh, standards. And really, we should these days, when we're trying to care for our uh, precious planet, we shouldn't be throwing form books around. Um, <laughs> Even if they are out. Especially if they've got a plastic coating. Uh, yeah, out the window or not. I mean, what about if your window is within blowing distance of a body of water? You know, you're, you're just yeah. adding to the, the, the plastic pollution problem. Oh. I remember one of your neighbours throwing a throwing the DVD player not out the window. Through you were like they didn't throw it out the window. They, they threw, threw it through, a through the window. Yeah, that was in a uh, that was a, a number of years back, and that was in a a family dispute which got so passionate that an attempt to chuck the, her husband's um, belongings out the window. She didn't actually stop to check whether she'd lifted the uh, pane of glass, and everything just smashed into the pavement. Yeah, it was fucking brilliant, that was. Uh, that, that was incredible when that family... Uh, it's a shame, I miss them to this day. They live three doors up, and my goodness, I miss them. If you're out there, if you're out there, please come back. Uh, last time I saw the guy of that family, he was in, he was on his knees in the middle of the road. About six months after he'd moved out, he, he, he'd returned, and uh, he was on his knees in the middle of the road with four police and a big wagon uh, around him oh. being put in the back of a van, yeah. Oh, the glory days. Stratford's not what it used to be. You know, it's, it's, just, it's just baristas everywhere now. You know, with their whippets. gelato. Yeah, gelato. You know, whippets, beards, people with braces. Uh, you know, um, but, but yeah, back to the serious point. Matthew, I was making before you deliberately yeah, sorry, sorry. Um 
So we spoke a little bit about Deli Alley, didn't we, a couple of weeks ago, as kind of the headline uh, act in the list of players who have inexplicably kind of fallen off a cliff in terms of their form and their level and their standard. And uh, he's confirmed a move to Everton. In fact, Everton are now in, in a really... Because, you know, it, it is easy to um, to speak disparagingly and kind of mockingly about Everton, so uh, so, I, so I will do. Um, and <laughs> Because it's easy... Um, but they, you know, <clears throat> clearly that they are they are kind of objectively a, a disastrously run club since you know they, they were sort of taken over by a, a, a multi-millionaire um, uh, owner or billionaire owner who has spent half a billion pounds on transfers since 2014-15 uh, season I think and been through on average I think a manager every season and some, some real high-end managers as well you know people well theoretically anyway people like uh, Ronald Koeman and um, uh, Roberto Martinez, and uh, uh, although he was, I think, was already there when he took over and he got rid of him. Um, uh, Rafa Benitez, clearly most recently, and now good old, uh, good old Frank Lampard. And uh, uh, I just think that you've you've got a fascinating collection now of players who have got a massive point to prove and kind of careers that need rescuing, and a, and a manager who who could could kind of who could barely be more high profile in terms of his playing reputation, looking to kind of find his feet uh, as a manager and kind of show the world what he is. Is he a kind of bright young manager who was a little bit unlucky at Chelsea, kind of onto something and sacked before his time? Or is he someone who was kind of only given the opportunity in the first place because of his name and uh, he's going to be a little bit out of his depth? And you combine that with the fact that he has brought in Deli Alley who, you know, we, we've kind of gone into detail about before, um, about kind of where he's at and how desperately he needed a, a move to, to kind of reboot himself. Also, Donny van der Beek, even though it's only a loan signing, that to me is, is in many ways even more interesting because <clears throat> it kind of feeds into this, um, the unpredictability of recruiting what look like kind of top-level players from the Netherlands. Um and there's a really quite a checkered history over the last, um, probably since the turn of the century, of players who have joined top Premier League clubs directly from Holland and how it can go one way or the other. Um, you get players sometimes who look incredible, not just even in domestic football, but at Champions League level for Dutch clubs who come to England and completely fall off a cliff. I'm thinking specifically um, Matteo Kesman, who signed for Chelsea. I think in the kind of first round of um, elite signings when they first got money. And he everything he touched in Holland was uh, was going in the back of the net. I think it was PSV. It was either PSV or um, Feyenoord. I think PSV. But anyway, it doesn't really matter. Um, and he um, was also doing really well in European football, um, uh, for his for his club, and he came over, and he just looked like he w- he had he was learning to play football for the first time. Um, and then, but then you get people like Robin van Persie, who clearly is you know one of the most prolific strikers um, the um, Premier League has ever seen. So it really can go um, one way or the other. And the reason that Donny van der Beek is 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 interesting is because since he. Uh, came to England and um, joined uh, uh, Manchester United a couple of years ago now, I think it was, about two years ago maybe, or maybe 18 months. He's barely barely been given a chance. 
And that's not now... I think initially there was this kind of assumption that he didn't... That Solskjaer, the manager, didn't necessarily want him. And he didn't necessarily fit into the way they played. Um, so he was kind of going to struggle until someone new takes charge. But I'm always kind of suspicious. Not so much, Well, not even suspicious so much, but more... Um, you 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 feel more able to form a solid opinion about a player and their their kind of lack of form or deterioration if more than one manager assesses what they're doing in training and kind of takes a look at their contribution and still doesn't pick them. The De- Deli Ali, you know, is a classic example of that. What's about about three or four Spurs managers have just not wanted him around. So there, there's clearly something badly wrong there. Um, and Donny Van der Beek. It's going to be really interesting to see at Everton whether he shows that he is one of the players who, as he appeared to be for Ajax in a kind of high-achieving team that were within a millisecond of getting to the Champions League final in 2019. And, you know, despite the fact it was a miraculous comeback by Spurs, they, I think over two legs they they probably deserved it. And with the greatest of respect, it would have probably been a better final against Liverpool had uh, Ajax made it uh, rather than uh, rather than poor old Tottenham. Um no, no offence, um, but uh, it would certainly be more interesting in terms of you know the, the dynamic out there. No one wants to see a, an all-English final, unless you're an idiot. Um, <laughs> and uh, uh, so whether he's going to be kind of one of these, one of these uh, genuinely elite players who kind of just made a move that was the wrong place at the wrong time and are now, can now flourish somewhere else when he's in the right system and the team's built around him, or whether he's another example of somebody who... Um, it's just out, you know, a little bit out of his depth and possibly was was overrated. But the thing that makes it even more interesting, really, is that it's come at a time when Everton are being increasingly sucked into a um, a transfer, uh, sorry, a relegation battle. They're, they're only about five or six points now clear of the relegation zone, and the teams below them have started winning. So. That, that, it, it is a gamble. That, look on the on the surface, they've kind of they've made high quality signings. They've brought in a manager who will kind of attract players and may well galvanise the club. And they should have more than enough to get away just with the players they've, they've already got um, in the side. But it is it is quite an unusual move to to kind of throw so many variables of people who are either unproven or have a point to prove or have demonstrated deterioration um, to come in and do something as, as, as pivotal as kind of save your season and, and stave off the threat of relegation. Um, so kind of, I'm, I'm absolutely fascinated to see what's going to happen over the next four or five months um, to Everton um, in that respect. Because when you contrast that with what Watford have done, Watford, of course, are sticking with their tradition of having at least three managers in every football season, and they're now on to number three. And good old Roy Hodgson has come back from the uh, uh, from the grave, and uh, at the age of what's he now about ninety eight, uh, he's managing yet again. He just couldn't turn it down. And the thing is, Roy, he, there's one thing that he's um, indisputably kind of good at, and that is taking a, a, a group of players, uh, often of, of kind of questionable um, standards, and getting them so incredibly uh, well-drilled and disciplined to um, conform to a particular shape that makes them really hard to beat, and then kind of grinding out wins. Not necessarily with direct football. I'm not saying they play ugly football, but they certainly play kind of containing um, and very kind of disciplined, relatively attritional football. And, but, 
but you know you you could not it is really the other end of the managerial scale to Lampard he, you know you, you couldn't have more experience he's been managing um, it for pretty much 50 years since he started off in Sweden he's managed in countries all over the world he's managed obviously national level for Switzerland and England um, so it to kind of see the battle between those two different approaches combined with Newcastle and their quest to stay up and the fact that they've spent uh, a lot of money and, you know, time will tell as to how wisely they've spent that. And then even Norwich, who kind of looked dead and buried, um, are now uh, shown kind of signs of life. I think they've won consecutive Premier League games. They seem to have stopped letting in the, the amount of goals they were. So I said a few weeks back, I think even maybe even before Christmas, that you could... You could go as far as to say, even at this stage of the season, that three out of the bottom four, as it stands now, are going to go down. I do still stand by that, but Everton's drop in form has been so catastrophic that um, it's not inconceivable that they are in a proper battle. I think their first three games under Lampard are going to be... Um, I think they've got like Leeds and Southampton, someone else, but they, they, they're going to they're going to have to win a couple of them to kind of kickstart things. And then other clubs kind of hovering around that area just above like Leeds... Again, might want to just start watching their back because it's dangerous when the clubs down there start um, start winning. I think Burnley are, are in big, big trouble, um, which in the past would have made me feel slightly sad. But I'm just I'm, I'm sick of them just coming up to Anfield and just trying to injure all our players. So you know, <laughs> good good riddance to them. Um, another thing worth noting about the transfer window, I guess the only Liverpool related point I would make is that I said um, I said a few weeks ago that the problem with um, the attempt to kind of re reignite the the spell of success at Old Trafford has been the kind of scattergun approach to trying to always buy um, top level name signings, sort of based you know sort of social media stars who are going to sell loads of shirts, and it there being kind of no strategy. Well, I think that one of the reasons that you know um, my club has experienced. Um, a few years of such success has been uh, that they're kind of the opposite to that. They buy players specifically because they they solve a problem um, or they're sort of legacy planning. <clears throat> and signing Luis Diaz now, you know, it's always pretty dangerous to uh, to kind of start going getting too carried away with players who haven't even played in this country before before they've even made their debut for the club, and he might end up being an absolute flop. But he appears on the surface to tick the box against pretty much every metric that you could possibly want as a as a top level modern modern footballer, and um, to kind of get that business done in such an efficient and ruthless way. Um, and <clears throat> you know, I'm sure you were devastated, Matthew, but it, but he he was uh, he, he seemed to be Tottenham's uh, number one uh, transfer window target, along with um, along with. Um, uh, Traore of Wolves and both of those players now have signed for, for other clubs uh, so that that as a side issue is going to be interesting as well because you bring in a, a, an elite coach like Antonio Conte he doesn't stick around for long-term projects or kind of you know development squads he wants to go in compete at the very very top for for the for the biggest trophies on offer and if that and that that means that the club needs to spend whatever they want to spend whatever they need to spend. And if he's kind of been instrumental in, in identifying two players, both of whom have been missed out on, and they've now got two uh, Juve kind of cast-offs, cast-offs, 
who, again, may well end up being absolutely brilliant, like genius signings, but on the surface, they kind of look like, mm, okay, well, are they kind of consolation prize? <clears throat> what Liverpool do as a, as a as a kind of an alternative to that is they, I think they, they did the same with Virgil van Dijk back in the uh, twenty beginning of 2018. They identify someone over a long period of time. They're prepared to be patient um, as long as long as it kind of takes to to ensure they get that player. They they fixate on that player. They don't deviate. They don't ever go for an alternative. When when Liverpool failed to sign Virgil Van Dijk in the summer of 2017, they were left for the first half of that season with quite substandard uh, centre back choices, and they were letting in goals all over the place. And rather than making a kind of panicky August transfer deadline day signing, they just said no, 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 we'll wait. And then they got Virgil for. 70-odd million quid in, in the January and ended up getting to the Champions League final that season and then obviously within two years winning the Champions League and the league. That is a, that's a strategy. That's having a long-term plan and sticking to it. <clears throat> and I think that, you know, successful... Manchester City have kind of done a very similar thing with the, um, the boy from um, River Plate that they've just signed. That's a kind of future signing. They know that they're, they're looking at, OK, who are going to be the kind of stars, the elite performers in world football over the next five, six years? What problem do we need solving at the moment okay we haven't really had a proper centre forward since Sergio Aguero's departure we're gonna we've got a gap that needs filling we kind of we've adapted our system to mitigate that for the time being but that won't necessarily last forever and they've ended up again making a, a real elite um, elite signing and Liverpool's other transfer target was a, a young boy at Fulham Fabio Carvalho who's only 19 years old he looks exceptionally talented albeit at championship level but I think they you know, you kind of trust when 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 you've got a bunch of people there who have got a set a precedent of being so good at identifying talent that regardless of the level they're playing at, they're they're kind of sure of what they're doing. Then you kind of think, okay, well, yeah, they're you know, I mean, they got the the boy Harvey Elliott from um, um, Fulham as well, and he's been a, a revelation into this injury, and I think he's quite close to being um, back fit. So. It's just really interesting to see. I think this was the first time in quite a while that the January transfer window kind of felt like it did seven or eight years ago, maybe even longer than that, where it was real kind of desperation. Clubs who have got a lot at stake for the second half of the season kind of throwing money around and just jumping at second and third choice players. And uh, once it kind of all settles down and you've got managerial changes and kind of new players who need to come in and make immediate impacts it's 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 going to be fascinating um the only other um uh point i wanted to make as well is just about how we've got an fa cup uh weekend again coming up um so obviously that form book is going well and truly <laughs> out the window um and i just <laughs> Well, it is, Matthew. You know, there's no... If there's one thing you can be sure... It's a about, better place for it. Yeah, really, exactly. It goes out, you know. If there's an open window, that form book is going to be... You don't even need to throw it. It's going to jump out the window. Um, that That's one thing you can guarantee about the FA Cup. And the other thing you can guarantee about the FA Cup is that there will be magic. Because, of course, everyone knows that the FA Cup is, is magic. It's like, I, I don't know whether how that started, whether you know Harry Houdini was involved in the uh, early days, or whether Paul Daniels ever got involved, Penn and, Te- <laughs> Penn and Teller maybe, but someone has obviously cast a spell of the magic. But, I, I, again, I, I, I sort of banged on self-righteously a few weeks back about how I think the FA Cup is, is a beautiful competition I absolutely love and... Um, and as a result, kind of support and follow enthusiastically every year. And I kind of, I like the fact that it lacks the, the, the 
the sort of um, artificial glamour of the Premier League, and it is kind of old school, and you do get unfashionable ties in unfashionable parts of the country, in you know, um, dilapidated stadiums, you know, um, sort of football backwaters. I think they're so good for the game, and it's a good reminder of people that it isn't necessarily all about um, um, sort of, you know elite Premier League football. And this weekend, I just get I look at fixtures like Kidderminster against West Ham in a little sort of stadium um, in in Kidderminster, live on telly on BBC, and I just think that, you know that is that that genuinely is magic. You know that's that is fantastic for the for the couple of thousand you know hardcore fans who turn up and watch sort of uh, fourth or fifth tier football every week to have a run in the FA Cup where you knock out um, you know, various league teams and then end up getting a, a, a big Premier League club coming to your home ground uh, and the BBC turning up, which means you'll get, you'll get a massive TV audience. Um, it's, it's brilliant. And there needs to always be a place for that. If I ruled the world, if I ran football, I would scrap um, the system whereby... Uh, the top four teams in the Premier League get Champions League football. I'd, I'd make it top three, and then the fourth one would be the winners of the FA Cup. And if the winners of the FA Cup have already uh, finished in the top three, then I'd have the runners up in the FA Cup over the team that comes fourth. Just because it then it it would reinvigorate the importance of actually winning something as opposed to you know just being rewarded for finishing fourth. Um, and it, w- it would respect the traditions. You know, so much of football in this country was built upon the success of the FA Cup. You know, the way in which clubs became big and developed their own history and their own identity is probably more to do with the FA Cup than it was to do with league, league success. So I relish uh, FA Cup weekends um, way more than, um, than, say, like the League Cup. You know, Liverpool have made it to the final of the League Cup and I very much hope they win it. But if they don't, oh well. Uh, you know, whereas... <laughs> FA Cup, you know, if we get to an FA Cup final, I, I would rather Liverpool, I think, got to the FA Cup final and lost than got to the League Cup final and won because it's just, it's just, it's the FA Cup. And I still feel like that about it and I'm very passionate about it. And one last thing, and it, I know it's a slightly more kind of serious, earnest point to end on, but just something crossed my mind um, when we were talking last week about the, um, uh, the death of, um, um, you know, poor innocent people attending a football match in Yoandi in, um, in Cameroon um, at the beginning of last week. Um, I look at kind of the way that that disaster is covered um, by some of the sort of Western media. And don't get me wrong, you know, I'm not saying there's anything um, distasteful about it. It was all reported in a very, as it should be in a very kind of sympathetic and serious fashion and, you know, and, and reflecting what an awful um, uh, sequence of events it was. But I always get the feeling that underlying there is a, a, a slight kind of arrogance and complacency that, oh, OK, well, you'd expect this sort of thing in Africa where things are a little bit more chaotic and the organisation isn't necessarily there. But what people should really remember is that in July last year, that situation could so easily have happened at Wembley Stadium. So easily. You know, what did you... You had the, the, the you know, the toxic combination of uh, overcrowding, poor, shambolic organisation... And kind of you know dangerous surges towards uh, inadequate exits and entrances, and 
I don't know. To be honest, it's it's actually quite miraculous how nobody ended up uh, dying or at least getting you know severely kind of life changingly injured on that day. And all it takes for for a disaster to happen, not just in a sporting situation, but in any large gathering of people, you know, big music event or whatever, political rally, is is for there to be the combination of large numbers of people and poor organisation. That's it. You don't need any sort of disorder. You don't need any sort of violence. You just need large numbers of people because the, the numbers of people is the danger. Large numbers of people all being together, there's an unpredictability to that and you are, you are at the mercy of organisers. And if the organisation goes badly, if people make poor decisions, if uh, you know inadequate gates are available for people to escape from or you know people are funneled in the wrong direction then disaster looms and it goes to show that you should never ever ever be complacent about these things because it can happen everywhere and that's why you should take it very very seriously when uh, morons try and kind of hijack um, uh, big sporting events in this country and ruin it for everybody and create dangerous situations um, that could result in loss of life so yeah, I just wanted to make that as a kind of observation about how, you know, we you sh- you, there's never a room to be complacent about something as um, as serious as that. Uh, but that's it. Anything you want to add, Matthew? No, no. I think we've done our fill. Or you've yeah. done our fill. Well, yeah. <laughs> th- th- thank, thank you, Matthew. As ever, you've been a great help. Um, but thanks for <laughs> filling us in about your athlete's foot. I mean, that's today's main... <laughs> main revelation i've learned something new i've learned you know so much about your your attitude to wine your your athlete's foot you know trauma uh, what is it that there was a there was an, a, a a chapter in uh, partridge's um uh, autobiography my drink and drugs heck uh, when he tries to make out like he had a like a battle with uh, drink and drugs because when he got back from a uh, like a traumatic day he had half a bitter uh, <laughs> and and some painkillers or something so yeah uh, so you i see very much that same sort of uh, chapter in your autobiography when when you sell this podcast for uh, 10 billion pounds in a few years time and can write write an uh, an article about your your athlete's foot. Hell. Yeah, <laughs> you can do it. Yeah, no, that's it. I, well, yeah. Okay. Well, on that fungal bombshell, it is time <laughs> to say a uh, rather unpleasant uh, bombshell. Uh, it's time to say for another week. Thanks for listening to this book. Oh, and do follow us on Twitter. And in fact, to incentivize people to follow us on Twitter at f unfocused. That's at f unfocused. If you want to contact us on Twitter and Twitter only and suggest something that we'll talk about or, you know, anything like that, um, then we will consider it. I mean, I say consider it. There's no guarantees. This is a dictatorship, not a democracy. Um, (laughs) But we will consider it. And uh, so just just to try and, you know, encourage more than uh, seven people to follow us on Twitter. So at F Unfocused. Um, tell us what you'd like to hear us uh, discuss in great detail and uh, we'll give it some thought. And if it's rubbish, we'll just reject it and disrespect you and your support for this podcast. Thank you very much. Goodbye. (laughs)